Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Hey, Dog Speak Geeks, happy Valentine's Day. You only get me for this episode. Um, <laughs> Britt has to be out of town for work, and Amanda, Gray, Alicia are all super busy as well. I've been having some health issues, so things have been a little crazy around here. But I thought, okay, either I do one alone, or I don't do one at all this week. And I don't like going two weeks in between. I don't even like going one week in between. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to get on here by myself. I know it's been a while since I've done one by myself. They're not nearly as entertaining uh, when it's just me sitting here staring at the wall. Um, but I thought I would just mention a few things we have going on. And I'm going to answer some listener questions. Because I think this is a good way just to get some information out there. So that you guys are not having to wait another couple of weeks or another week um, for us. So we were planning on recording this past weekend, but like I said, I've been under the weather, and um, so it's just been a little, just been a little crazy. But I do want to uh, mention we a few weeks ago on one of our episodes we talked we had a movie line, a movie quote that I put out there, and I said if you know this quote, then let me know where it's from. And I'm going to give you something special. And we had a winner, Sarah Jane and Penny Grace. Uh, Sarah Jane gave us the answer. It was The Princess Bride. And if you've not seen The Princess Bride, shame on you. Go watch it right now. Perfect Valentine's Day movie to watch. Uh, so go watch it. And Penny Grace got um, some enrichment items. Sarah got a, a t-shirt, a koozie. Um, and I think we sent a couple other things, a, a chew bone for Penny Grace. But I also want to mention that Penny Grace is precious and she has her own Instagram account. So hash um, at um, dash Penny Grace. We'll put that in the um, show notes so that you guys can find Penny Grace and start following her because she's precious. And um, we always like to follow our listeners back. So if your dog has an Instagram account, let us know. We'll be happy to uh, follow you guys, link up, and uh, see all the, you know, all the fun and get to see some of your enrichment games and, and ideas that you have for enrichment because that's really helpful. So congratulations, Sarah Jane and Penny Grace. Thanks for being such a good listener and being so supportive. And, and we really do appreciate every one of you guys. And, and for Valentine's Day, I think that uh, it's a good time just to tell you how much I love you, how much I appreciate you. Yes, I'll be um, sans Brit tonight. She's in um, Colorado, probably having a better time than I am. Hopefully, she will get home by Thursday. They're supposed to be getting 6 to 10 inches uh, overnight tonight, so hopefully, she'll make it home on Thursday. We don't really celebrate Valentine's Day because, honestly, we celebrate each other every day, so uh, we don't need that one special day. So for those of you that are single and don't have anyone to celebrate Valentine's Day with, well, that's just poo on that. 
don't worry. This is a stupid holiday. And I think that you should find your best friend, your best friends, whatever. Go have a good time and celebrate love because we love our friends, right? And um, I have some dear friends that I just love and adore. And I would be just as happy to spend my evening with as well. So I hope you have uh, someone you can hang out with tonight. Uh, Watch The Princess Bride. Drink some margaritas. Maybe have some bourbon. You know, whatever is, is up your alley, you know, eat a good steak, drink a little Jameson, open that expensive bottle of wine, um, spoil yourself, right? Love yourself. Maybe Valentine's Day should be about that one day we all spoil ourselves and love ourselves the way that we should. Because if we can't love ourselves the way we should, how can anyone else? And then how can we love anyone else, right? So I'm all about putting you first, taking care of you and your needs so that you can be all that you can be for your partner or for anyone else in your life. Okay, I just realized that sounded almost like a military commercial, like a, you know, army commercial or something, be all you can be. But anyway, uh, also today, we are launching our Dog Speak Geek membership. And I'm excited about this because I know we have several Dog Speak Geeks out there. Uh, You go out now and watch other people with their dogs you secretly judge them. Don't don't lie. You secretly judge. Uh, you also go and you see dogs and you think, oh, that dog is not happy. The owner's missing out on this. Uh, oh, did they not see the dog is stressed out? Or you watch those dog shaming videos and you're like, no, I can see the calming signals. The dog is not really feeling shameful. You're just being confrontational. So uh, I know you're I know you're out there. So if you want free seminars, if you want a free Zoom monthly with me um, or Gray, if well, actually me and Gray, because we'll be switching off. If you want to have a private Facebook page to where you can support each other and and get information on a regular basis, then you need to become a dog speak geek. Right, we have three, six, and twelve-month options, and you also get discounts on private lessons, our uh, dogs around town lessons. So there's a lot of fun things for membership. Not to mention, you get a really cool T-shirt with Dog Speak Geek on it, as well as a personalized—I say personalized treat bag. It's a treat bag. It's a Dog Speak Crack Pack that we have had custom made from one of our clients, and we only have so many of those right now. Uh, So get on. So if you don't want to have to wait for your treat bag, uh, because they are handmade, custom made in this woman's home, all the while she has like a six, seven, eight month old baby. Maybe not that old yet, but it's insane. So we love these treat bags um, and they will have the Dog Speak Crack Pack logo on them. So woohoo, super excited. I'm going to have a sip of my coffee. Yes, I'm drinking coffee, not alcohol because, well, it's not quite noon yet. I know that I probably don't need the caffeine. At least y'all don't think I need the caffeine. But uh, alas, I do because I'm not sleeping real well. But hey, that's neither here nor there. I'm here. I'm awake. I love what I'm doing. I love you guys. So happy Valentine's Day to you all. And um, get on to the membership right now, dogspeak101.com. Go to the membership, sign up, be the first member. You know what? And I'm going to give something special to the first person that signs up. I don't know what that is yet, but the first person that signs up for a membership. I have two memberships available, A and B. A is for our locals, B is for our non-locals. You're both, whoever signs up first for local and whoever signs up first for non-local, I'm going to send you a special gift on top of what you're already going to get with the shirt and the treat bag. So first person to sign up is going to get that because you are going to be the first official Dog Speak Geek member. So there you go. All right. All right. Let's go into some listener questions and we are going to start out. Um, this is really a, a really good question. Um, it's a, you know, a lot of us have friends that have dogs and they bring their dogs over. You take your dog over and you guys, um, you know, let the dogs play and they become friends and buddies. And, you know, it's like we're those parents that have the kids that have play dates. Sometimes, though, your friend's dogs may not be as good at interaction or your friend may not have as much knowledge 
um, which I'm going to blame you on that because at this point you should be pushing them to dog speak and like y'all should all be dog speak geeks together. I'm just saying. But, uh, you know, how do you handle those things, right? Do you, do you keep letting your dog play? Do you say something to your friend? Do you correct your friend's dog? How do you handle those things? So this is a really good question. Sorry, right, so we got this first question in, which was really good. All right, so hello. Recently, my dogs and my friend's dog met for the first time and all was good until my dog tried playing tug with a toy that her friend's dog had in her mouth. So we have the friend's dog. Uh, we'll call this dog Spot. And uh, we're going to call the client's dog, we're going to call Cotton. Okay, so we got Cotton and Spot. So Spot, he is a hound dog mix. um, And Cotton is a kind of a, you know, a little toy dog, right? So not huge, um, but Spot's kind of big. So Spot, they were at Spot's house and uh, Cotton was playing well. They were all playing well, but then tried to play with a tug toy that Spot had in her mouth. So having a toy out was completely irresponsible of us. We know that now. I'm not going to say it was completely irresponsible because we don't really know the history. Unless you know the history, then okay, I'm going to say that you probably should have had the toys up. But Spot's owner reassured us that she wouldn't guard it. Cotton plays tug with um, our older dog, so he's used to being allowed to do that. When Cotton tried taking it from... um, from Spot, we saw the tenseness, the signals, and tried to separate them. But when Spot's owner got closer, Spot exploded. So both were unhurt. It was a lot of flashing teeth and snarls, which is most fights. Uh, but it was still terrifying because she is so much bigger. Both shook it off and played together later. But so far, two out of the three times we've been together, they've reacted that way without warning um, for things like resources. All right. So the first time we met Spot... Um, she redirected on her brother because she thought her owner had food. And each time she's reacted, she gives no corrections and just explodes. And I think what she meant by no corrections is she gives no signs that she is uncomfortable. So she's not really giving any signals. Um, This is called, you know, either a no fuse or a very short fuse. She says, I've also noticed she explodes when her owner is right next to her or pulling her back. I guess my question is, should I continue to let our dogs play together? Or should I tell my friend she needs worked with before I'm comfortable with her being around my dogs? Uh, Should I be more concerned about her behavior or am I just overreacting? So the thing is with this is that this could be a difficult situation, but but here's the thing is you have to focus on your dog, right? You have to to make sure that your dog is always set up, you know, for success, set up to be able to play appropriately and be able to be interrupted appropriately as well. So I would say that if you have... Um, a dog like Spot who has some resource guarding issues and and doesn't have a lot of fuse, then I would say right now, because especially the size difference, I would say it's not probably the best to have Cotton and Spot play together unless there are no items around and if Spot's owner's not around. Because it sounds like the triggers are resources in general, which you have toys, it could be food, it could be the owner, but it can also turn into things like, you know, a a mole on, you know, that's in the ground or a bug that maybe spots going after and and cotton gets interested and wants to come over and be like, hey, what's that? So with resource guarding, sometimes it's not about the object itself. Resource guarding can actually be an issue with um, insecurities. It could be a genetic trait. Uh, especially when you have like guardian breeds who are bred to guard resources, right? So when we look at resource guarding, it's not always about the dog's not getting enough food or the dog's afraid that food's going to be taken away or, um, you know, this item is just too important to them. Many times it's deeper than that. Um, and that means that it can turn, that that anything can become a resource for a dog to guard. But you will see it a lot more in your herding breeds because that is what they're genetically bred to do, right? It's how we handle that that's going to really make a difference. If we handle it in a negative way, then the resource guarding can be much bigger than what it initially started. Um, and that's why we need to understand it. We don't need to immediately assume a dog is just being an asshole, and, you know, growling at you because you're near their food. 
And so you got to be very careful with that. And, and I would really make sure that if you are dealing with a dog that has resource guarding issues, be sure that you reach out to a positive trainer before trying to deal with it yourself, because you want to ensure that what is happening is truly either a you know resource for that particular resource and not generalized across the board, or it's something to where the dog can see anything as a resource. And, and that's going to take someone who has more knowledge with, you know, genetics and developmental stages. Um, you know, this is not just a um, behavior issue that can be treated with training. And sometimes counter conditioning is not the way to go either, because there are things that are missing within that dog's brain that um, needs to be filled. And if we don't feel that, and we try to just train them out of it, the issue doesn't go away. It just gets transferred to something else. So you go from having a resource guarding issue where you can, you can say, okay, my dog is resource guarding over toys. All right. And that's the only thing they resource guard over, or they, that's the only thing they've resourced guard over. They may start somewhere else and start guarding a bed, right. Or a couch or the owner. But if we just counter condition that toy or that location, whatever it is, and we're just throwing treats at them and we're saying, okay, we're going to fix this and it's going to be trained and we're going to teach them a positive association when I come near that item, that may work initially with that. But if it's deeper and the dog is missing other things like safety, feeling secure, not having an outlet for the genetic needs, then we may fix it with a toy, but it's just going to pop up somewhere else. And I'd rather stick with something that I know uh, the dog is going to resource guard so that I'm not surprised. It's easier to deal with things that way. So resource guarding sometimes is it's not black and white. There's a lot of things that go into it. And it's not just as simple as counter conditioning or what many, you know, balanced aversive trainers use is correct the dog when they're resource guarding, punish them for guarding whatever item or their food, and then they take their food away or they you know, don't allow them to eat and they only eat for working for it. And I mean, it's just a punishment based, basically, and it's not getting to the root cause. So, um, so I would say in this case with something like spot, it sounds like that spot isn't really feeling like that the resource is what's important, that there's an underlying issue that spots feeling something that is causing this guarding aspect and this explosion. And um, so it's not as, as simple as don't have any toys out, don't have the owner around. It, it can go a lot deeper than that. Um, and honestly, the more I sit here and talk about it, the more I'm starting to think the first bit of information I gave you on on things um, was actually probably just too surface. Um, I would say that Spot and Spot's owner needs to, to definitely get some training, get someone knowledgeable um, to really understand where Spot's coming from so that we can deal with it in the right way. In the meantime, I would maybe find other play um, playmates for cotton, uh, maybe, you know, dogs that are more cotton size for now, just so cotton can continue to have positive associations and not negative associations with dogs that are uh, larger. So I really thought that was a really good question because we do run into those issues. And, and recently, actually, last few weeks, um, I've been seeing a lot of resource guarding cases and um, hearing about a lot of resource guarding cases. And, and actually, it's been a conversation uh, among uh, my peers as well. So this is definitely something that is not as black and white as we once thought it was. Um, and and the thing is, is that when people get puppies, they always fear their dogs guarding food um, or having resource guarding around food, food, especially if they have children. And so they tend to kind of go overboard and they stick their hand in the dog's bowl and they play with their food. Or they mess with the dog while eating. Look, that is not going to prevent your dog from having resource guarding issues. If anything, it's going to create more anxiety around that food when humans are there. So if you're, if you're trying to eat and every time you're trying to eat, somebody's coming over playing in your food, messing with your plate, uh, rubbing your head, which I would like, but you know, just messing with you, you're not going to feel relaxed about food. You're going to start tensing up as, as they approach you with that food. So 
and instead of doing that, how about if you just kind of, I don't know, leave your dog alone, leave him alone, let him eat in privacy. If you do have to go by, if you do have to get close by, maybe you're getting close by to pick up the water bowl and fill it up, whatever, praise, drop a few extra special treats in there, go do your thing, but leave them alone. You know, and if you just make things positive like that, or even just neutral, the chances of your dog becoming a resource gardener over their food towards others in the home or even guests in the home, that's pretty minimal, unless you have issues that run deeper than that. Um, but that's just one thing that just drives me crazy when people are like, I played with his food, I took it away, I, you know, I can, I can mess with his food. And I'm like, stop being a bully, right? We don't need to do that as old school crap. Please stop doing that. Um, and make sure that you're just making that a positive experience. And of course, if you've listened to us long enough, you know that we're like ditch the bowl and only feed from enrichment items. Uh, so um, now enrichment items, something that's fun like that, uh, it can make that resource a little higher value. Uh, but again, I'm not messing with them. And if I have multiple dogs, I'm separating them um, and allowing them have enrichment time in their own private area, own quiet area, so they don't have to look over their shoulder. Um, and they don't have to wonder if the other dog is going to, you know, come around. Which brings up another point that when you have multiple dogs and one dog eats faster than the other, they tend to kind of linger, right? And they linger around the, uh, the bowl of the other dog and so forth. I don't allow that to happen because being upper management, um, I know that's not the the best um, way to be. It's not really appropriate. It's kind of, it's disrespectful, right? I always want a dog to be able to eat in peace. So if I do see one dog hovering, so Myers is, is he doesn't eat faster than Isabella. He just gets a lot less food, right? So he ends up getting done faster. And so I'll see him kind of move towards her area just to kind of hover. She, he's not trying to get in the bowl, but he's hovering. And I don't want her to have to worry about that. So I always just redirect him to doing something else um, so that we don't have any problems. And hopefully eventually he'll just walk away when he's done eating and not be bothered. But right now being that he's, you know, he's still a little puppyish, a little adolescent. He's just checking things out. So... Just make sure that you are controlling the environment. Do not require your own dogs to protect their food from each other. And this is another reason why I hate free feeding, because when you think all the dogs are eating the right amount, resource guarding can happen uh, without you hearing or seeing it. It can be as something as simple as the dog who thinks that they own that bowl can just lay near it, which will prevent any other dog to approach. Um and so that, that can just turn into a real big issue. Okay. I really think, I don't know. I went all over the place on that, but I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say. And right now what I'm doing is because I have no one to bounce off of, I'm just letting my, my thoughts flow. And so uh, hang in there with me. I, th I think you'll at least get something out of this. I, I feel like you'll get something out of this, right? Uh, so anyway, that's, that is definitely something that you need to be aware of with multiple dog households. Um, all right. Let's go to our second listener question uh, for the day. And I don't know if I can um, really say their name or not. So I'm just going to read their, um, I think, I think they're all right. I think it's all right. Um, so it says, hey, y'all. I love that. Hey, y'all. Love your podcast. I love that you did. Hey, y'all. Um, especially because you're in Canada. Hey, y'all. Um, so we are from Vancouver, Canada. I'm a horse trainer and have a real sweet spot for Border Collies. God bless your soul. Uh, that was that was me. Um, in fact, we have four. Woof. Four. Man. Uh, we have uh, Dad and Bowie. He's a blue Merle and Mom. I think that's pronounced Arrow. Arrow? Iro? Arrow? Which is a red tri. And two pups. Cowboy and Roxy, they're both red tri uh, merles. We planned to keep just Roxy, but discovered, discovered Cowboy was deaf, so he got a free pass to automatically be included in the family. I, I commend you for that. Um, that is not my specialty, working with deaf dogs, not my specialty. Uh, typically, I will uh, refer clients to others with uh, deaf dogs, and I think that those people are fabulous that can work with them. Uh, it's just not my forte. 
But we will be moving shortly to a farm. Excellent. So it will be way easier to manage. But in the meantime, we need to have them on a leash. I usually have them off leash and they have amazing recall. Sometimes Cowboy will wander a little before he checks in with us or the other dogs. I always walk in an area that is enclosed just in case he wanders too far. Great idea. Setting him up for success. Keeping him safe. He really uh, relies on the other dog's body language. And we sometimes need to send the little girl Roxy to go get him, which I think is phenomenal because if you're going to have a dog that can be an assistant, right? So you kind of have a hearing assistant dog. Um, a, a herding dog is perfect for that, right? It's giving them that job. Uh, matter of fact, Heather, if you guys remember Heather, um, her border collie, her job was um, Annie was to go and get Scooter because Scooter was mostly blind, uh, completely deaf, I'm pretty sure. And so when everybody would go out to go potty, she would be told, they would tell Annie, go get Scooter. And she would go get Scooter to let Scooter know what was happening. And and I think that is just such a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so I think that's a great idea that you have a Border Collie that can do that. And plus, you know, they have a little connection because they're siblings. Um, however, I've never really learned how to do leash work. Uh, Bowie, 10 years old, always pulled. Um, and yeah, it was brilliant off leash. And I get that because when my Roddy's, I hardly ever had my Roddy's on leash. And so when I did have to have them on leash and they were restricted, it was not as pretty as off leash uh, because I just never practiced it. And I never practiced that certain distance. So I totally get what you're saying here. Uh, we would always go to a trail on an area or an area to run off leash. When other dogs run around as I don't believe other people's dogs are as polite <laughs> Or vice versa. That is, you know, that's true. Then I wanted one more. Um, Cowboy and Roxy are a little different. They want to pull the same as dad. Clearly, I'm the issue. But what is the best way to handle the situation? Both puppies carry anxiety on a leash. Um, she's been trained with pressure release with horses. If you put pressure, ask what you would like, and soften the pressure when you get the result. Uh, with the horses, it can get so soft with the pressure in an ask-tell-make motion. Usually, if you can get your timing bang on, then everything becomes so soft and invisible. I only just over the last couple of months, duh, thought I could apply the same method to the dogs. My partner wants to pull them back in a sharp motion to get them back in a heel, but I don't mind them in front of me sniffing or checking things out. Is it a good method for dogs? I know horses are flight animals, so just not sure the thinking is the same. Seems to be. Let me stop. I'm going to stop right there and so I can answer that. So I don't like to use really any type of leash pressure to get a behavior. Um, I always like to work leash work to where the dog feels the least amount of pressure around the body, whether using a collar or harness. I use that leash as a simple way to help teach by limiting options. And yes, there's going to be some gentle guidance in there because you have no choice. I mean, it's, if you're going to be teaching, I mean, you do have a choice. You could lure with traits. But I like to just have a more light, uh, light leash, not feeling a lot of pressure on the neck. And I'm using a lot of verbals. And you can simply start, you can actually start by really standing in your living room with your dog off leash. Uh, treat your dog, reward your dog, and then just do let's go and take one or two steps away. Your dog's going to follow you because they know how they have treats and treat them for moving with you. Because let's go really is just move with me. We're leaving this area. Let's go together. So move with me. Uh, movement doesn't have to be three miles, right? Movement can be two steps. And so you can start very simply just in the living room going, let's go. Start taking two or three steps, dog follows, reward that behavior. And then just slowly add a little more distance as you go. The other word that I use is this way, right? So if I end, if I hit the end of the living room wall, right, I'm right at the end of that. I need to turn around. I just want to turn around this way, walk a couple of steps, dog follows me and reward that. This way is our, we're changing direction. So you don't even have to start using the words on leash. You can actually just start very simply in your living room. Um, and then going outside, you can use this by just placing a light leash on the dog and letting them drag this in a safe area, obviously, and using the same words, keeping your dog engaged. So if I'm working a dog with let's go, once I start walking, I'm immediately going to start my good boy and I'm going to good boy until I need to say this way. 
um, and then I will do my this way, change direction, and then I'm good boying the whole time until I'm ready to give another this way, or I may give a go sniffy, which is now permission for them to not have to keep their eyes on me or know where I am or follow me. It's my job then to follow them, and they can go sniff wherever they want to sniff, and I will follow. So it's having those words that they understand what behavior you're looking for instead of putting them on a leash and then trying to teach how to walk. Go ahead and start introducing the words now. Um, I started with Myers as a puppy um, just when we were walking in the house. I would just use my words. I mean, he's going to follow because he was a puppy and I was interesting and I had food and I had treats and and I rewarded a lot. And so um, it's a very simple thing just to start doing in your everyday routine. And then you can add a leash in. And of course, when you add the leash in, you need to be very relaxed with that leash. Learn how to handle that leash properly by not wrapping your hand around it, um, not holding it so tight you're losing color in your knuckles, not yanking back. Uh, this is why we like waist leashes. So a hands-free leash prevents you from that tense uh, behavior or that yanking. Um, yes, I have seen clients yank with their hips, but uh, the goal is to just know that that leash is an attachment between you and the dog, um, but you want to use your words for that. Um, I had one of my service dog trainers that I worked with at the men's prison, and he said a really great thing about a leash, and, and he wrote it down for me, and I, I have it, and I think it's, it's brilliant. And this is what he says about a leash. He says, the leash isn't a teaching tool. It is a fail-safe device in case your teaching fails. And there's a big part of me that believes that, right? Um, I do use a leash to teach, but I use it by, by limiting the options, setting the dog up for success, not for dragging the dog into position. So what he's saying is that the leash is there if your dog can't respond to verbal cues. Uh, that's the bottom line there. So I really thought that was a great way to put it. Uh, so if you start teaching the walking with you first, then you can add that leash into it. Um, but again, it's it's twofold. You have to be able to handle that leash appropriately, just as much as the dog has to learn how to be attached to it um, and walk along with you. And of course, you need to, to have expectations on how do you expect your dog to walk when you say, let's go, right? Is it, do you want them right next to you? Uh, do you do you mind if they're in front? But it needs to be the same across the board. So for us, we teach let's go as our default cue for walking. And our default walk is don't pull me, don't trip me and keep up. I don't care if you're beside me, in front of me, behind me. I don't care if you switch sides. I don't care. It's a relaxed walk. Um, but if I need a closer walk and I need them next to me, then I'll teach a different cue that has a different behavior attached. See, a common mistake people make with leash walking is they don't communicate to their dog. They just think the dog magically knows you have to stay within six feet and you need to stay next to me. They don't know this, right? We're taking dogs that, you know, are used to free roaming in the house and in a backyard and then hooking this leash and saying, well, now it's all different and changed. You need to sit down as a couple and say, okay, how do we want the dogs to walk? All right, what cues are we going to put with this? So if I want a dog in a position right next to me and walk next to me, I'm going to use a with me cue. And I typically don't use those for long periods. It's usually a very short distance. I need to get past something. I'm walking in a crowded sidewalk. Um, and that with me also means don't change sides. So I'm communicating very clearly what is expected when walking with me by using my cues. But it's something I've been teaching before I even attach a leash to them. Now, if I do want to start with the leash, I can. Nothing changes. You're not dragging the dog, not yanking the dog, and you're certainly not correcting the dog with use of the leash. Because the more you pull on a leash, the more your dog's going to pull on the leash. And it's just a battle. You're playing tug of war, right? So it's best to um, not use that pressure and release type of training uh, with your dog. Um, which I know that, that horses are going to kind of, you know, pull tube and, and I'm not a horse trainer, never done any training with horses, but I don't recommend it with dogs. Um, all right. So the other situation is, what is the best way to work on leash work for a cowboy that is deaf? All right. Now, see, this is where it gets into. Um, I 
I just, I don't, I don't have, um, I don't have a lot of, oh, I don't have a lot of opinion for you there. I don't have a lot of knowledge and education on that part. Even though I've been doing this almost 27 years, I have used, I have worked with less than a handful of deaf dogs. And uh, typically what I would do, let's say if I do have a dog that is deaf and I do need to work with him on a leash, um, I'm going to start just having the leash attached to the dog and I'm going to just start in a stationary position. And I'm just going to be rewarding the dog for being within this vicinity of me. And then I might take a step and immediately reward the dog. Take another step, reward the dog. One step, reward the dog. Two steps, reward the dog. Right? I'm not going to do anything so big that the dog is getting in front of me. But I'm also not going to hold the leash so tight that he can't. I'm going to want him to be rewarded for those little, those just little steps is way I'm going to start. So what I'm doing is, is really teaching the dog an environmental cue of when you see the leash, when the leash is attached, here's the cue to walk with me and walk next to me. Um, and if you just practice doing very small, short steps with that, using rewards while on the leash, um, that can help the dog go, oh, okay, I know that this is the behavior that is always expected when this leash is attached. And so you don't even have to use a verbal cue there. You have the environmental cue, uh, which would be the leash. So it says his eyes go blazing fast, looking around his area. Um, and is it good for him to just stay still on a leash and absorb looking around until he is comfortable? Yes. Right. I love stationary because stationary allows you to focus in the moment, what's happening right there in that moment and not what's about to happen as if you're walking. Plus, it's throwing less information at the dog than as if we're walking. Right. So when we stop to look at it's like the difference of, of watching, you know, going and looking at Christmas lights, which is a big thing, you know, in, in the U.S. We are going to look at Christmas lights very different when you're driving in a neighborhood looking at Christmas lights and when you stop and you walk a neighborhood and because walking slows things down and it allows you to absorb what's there in front of you. And I'm using this as a human just to get you and understand this. If I'm driving, I'm getting too much information, right? So think about a dog just standing stationary would be similar to us walking slowly in a neighborhood looking and absorbing the lights. Whereas walking with a dog would be us riding in a car looking at the light. So yeah, just go and sit, right? And just reward the dog for even checking back in on you. Um, I don't have a lot of expectations when I'm doing stationary. It's typically just allowing the dog to understand the environment and take that environment in for themselves and process it and not trying to throw more information at them uh, that they're not prepared to to absorb or even respond to. So yes, just let them, you know, sit still, be calm, and just reward the dog for even just being attached uh, to the leash and absorbing in the environment, um, absorbing the stimulants in the environment. Okay. Uh, let's see. We're going to, I know sometimes it's good for a horse to look at what is concerned to decide if they need to run and sometimes not good to look as it may increase their anxiety. I assume this is the same, but should I be more protective? Not sure if that's the right word. This is what she said, because he is deaf or just wondering your thoughts. Um, so I, I'm kind of back and forth on this. So Leslie McDevitt has a look at that game to where it teaches the dog to look at that, um, things that may make them a little uncomfortable and um, and they earn rewards for that. And then they can look at that, look back at the owner and there's a process. But I think that it is important that dogs have the opportunity to, to look at things to make a decision on it. I think for me, I don't want to make a dog look at something that may be nerve wracking to, so they can make a decision. Sometimes I think that I need to read the body language enough to go, I'm going to make this decision for you. And I'm going to now increase my distance from that scary thing, which in turn will help you make decisions about it. I think that if I always allow a dog to kind of look at things that are scary or force them to look at things that are scary, and then they decide they want to run from it, I've lost my opportunity of creating a neutral response or a positive response. Uh, so, so I guess it's really going to depend on the situation. Um, I think that 
letting dogs absorb things in their environment on their own terms is very, very important. And we need to read that body language. And luckily, even deaf, he's going to have the same body language. So you can completely read that and go, okay, he's a little nervous. I don't want to wait until he makes a decision to either react forward, react backwards, um, you know, and that which means lunging forward or trying to run away. I, I want to make sure I'm creating something that's more neutral or more positive. Uh, so uh, let's see. And it says, I've been listening to your podcast for about eight months and love the way you look past all our crap of the human species when handling a dog and treat them like an individual. The mental health of the animal um, is so important to me. And the more we can let them express themselves as individuals, the more they talk to us. We just need to learn how to listen. You're so, you're so right on that, right? We have to start understanding that you have canine, you know, you got, it's a canine, then you have, they're in a, a genetic group, then you have a breed, then you have their individual, whether male or female, are they small, are they large, are they active, are they laid back, are they, you know, what do those genetics look like? There's so many things that play into these dogs as individuals and that it is our job to be, one, respectful of who they are as individuals. Two, I think it's really important that we educate ourselves on the dog that we have in that moment, not the dog we had 10 years ago, not the dog we had growing up, not the dog that my aunt had who was could be off-leash in the middle of, you know, downtown, but the dog that's right in front of me. I, it's my job to make sure that I look at that dog. I learn about that dog's genetics. Um, and I think that's why I push people now for, for doing the DNA test, because I think it's going to give us more information that it's more than just seeing how close we are to understanding or knowing what that dog is for fun. It really truly is a, an important aspect that gives us information about that dog and about what possible genetics we could see or, or is that dog lacking something that they're not communicating um, but that we can help them reach, right? So I do think it's important that we look at that dog and as that individual and say, what is important to you? What do you need? What can I do to fix that? And how can we create communication that is uh, beneficial for both of us? And I think that when you can really get to that level, the relationship that you build with this dog is hands down probably one of the most amazing relationships you'll have because dogs are not as complicated as humans when it comes to emotions, right? I don't think they're overthinking things like we do. I think that if you want the most honest relationship in your life, learn how to communicate with your dog and learn who your dog is. And I'm not talking about just, oh, well, my dog loves to play fetch. My dog loves uh, beef lung. My dog loves when I eat popcorn and watch a movie. No, I, I need you to go a little deeper than that, right? Um, my dog feels secure doing this. My dog doesn't feel secure when I do that. My dog um, has a little nervousness when this family member comes over. What can I do to make this dog feel more safe? The number one priority in your dog's life is to feel safe. And if they don't feel safe, you're going to end up with a lot of behavior issues, um, and also not a lot of great manners. So feeling safe is not only important in the environment, but they need to feel safe with you, right? And how do they feel safe with you? They feel safe with you by knowing what your expectations are, the clear communication, and trusting that you're going to remain the same no matter what happens in the environment. No matter what they do, you're the same. You're that rock, right? You're that one thing they can count on. If they're ever afraid of how you're going to respond to something that they do or respond to something in the environment and they're afraid of that, then they're not safe. They don't feel safe with you. And you can't have that trust. You can't have that relationship. They still love you, but they get. They might even get to a point where they're just like, I'm just going to shut down because I just, I don't know what's going to happen. No, no matter what I do, nothing gets better. So I'm just going to shut down, which makes people think it makes it look like the dog is very well trained and obedient and they're not. They've just kind of given up. They, you know, their body's there, but their mind is not. So making sure your dog feels safe is, is so important. And I think if you, if you do anything with your dog, understanding how they communicate, 
I would say that's number one. And I think our dog communication seminar is truly the most popular seminar that I do. And I have been teaching that for 20 years. I started teaching it in 2002. And um, it's, I've expanded the information on that. Um, it started out with toured Rugas, her calming signals. I used to show her video and, um, and talk uh, as a, and doing a seminar for clients at, when I had my facility because I wanted them to be educated. So when their dogs came and they came to our Friday night socials and they would play, they had education on what their dogs were doing. Uh, Cause I thought it was really important. And the more I've done this and, and the, uh, the more I've worked with dogs to me, if anybody was going to do, if they, if they could only pick one thing to do for their dog um, outside of obviously physical health and things of that, you need to learn how dogs communicate. You need to learn their language because that is the only way you're really going to develop that true relationship is knowing that language. And I know a lot of our listeners are not local. Um, we do have one online. We are going to be attempting. I know I've said this before for our last workshop. We've got a plan. We're going to attempt recording the communication seminar we're having on the 24th of this month at the farm at Natchez Trace so that we can post that and you guys can purchase it online. And that should be better than the Zoom one. Just because I like that interaction a little bit more. Um, but I'll figure it out and I'll, I will I will get a good version for you guys online. The one we have online is good. Don't get me wrong. But of course, I like to update them. I like to put new videos up. Um, and of course, we learn new things every day, every week, every month, every year. Continuing education is major. And so uh, we like to add things in and, and change things around, especially the more research that we're getting. So learn to communicate with your dog by understanding how they communicate. Uh, because when you learn how they communicate, you're going to understand when they're nervous, when they're afraid, when they need to be left alone, uh, when they are not comfortable in an environment, uh, if they're not comfortable playing with another dog. Uh, even though they're running around, it still looks like it, but they may be showing signs that they're actually just don't know what to do and they're afraid to stop. Uh, you need to be able to help them. All right. You need to be that, that rock for them. And they should never, ever not feel safe with you. And if they don't feel safe, you're not going to have that relationship. And, and how do we not make them feel safe? Well, we are inconsistent in our expectations. We scream and yell at them. We use punishment, uh, aversive techniques. We are not consistent in anything we do. We don't communicate our wants, our needs. Um, we just expect the dog to know. Those are just some of the things. It's just some of the things that can happen. Um, so there you go. Um, thank you for sending that question in. Um, uh, Tanya, I really appreciate that. And um, I wish you guys the best uh, with your big group and your farm. And let us know how you're doing with, uh, with the deaf boy. But I think you can be very successful with that. So yeah, good questions. Uh, so it gave us an opportunity to really talk about a couple of things. Um, that our listeners deal with. And here's, an, you know what, talking about listeners' questions and membership, if you're a member, if you become a member, uh, you actually get priority for listener questions, which means that if you send in a listener question uh, and you're a Dog Speak Geek member, you uh, got priority status, and we will make sure that we put your question to the top of the list. Just one more little thing we're throwing out there. So if you do have questions and you would like us to answer it here on the podcast... Uh, just send them to info at dogspeak101.com. You can put listener question in the subject line. You can use the contact form on our website as well. Put listener question in the subject line so that we know it is a specific listener question. Um, and that is much easier for me than um, sending an email, asking questions, and then me having to uh, email you back. Um, my time is really limited on that. So I much prefer you guys to send in listener questions because then I can sit down and do it on the podcast. Um, and it's much easier. And then we can answer uh, the question for a lot of people because I'm sure a lot of people have the same uh, questions that you guys have been having. All right. I'm going to just wrap it up there. I think that, um, I think that was a, all right. I think that was okay. I think, I think it was okay. I, I know that you guys are missing Brit. I know I miss her, 
All right, she was gone all last week, and then she came home for a day and a half, and then she left again. Um, and then she's going to be home for a couple weeks, and then she's going to leave me again. So um, hopefully when she is here for a couple of weeks, we will get several episodes recorded so that we have them um, in the queue and ready to go out. I will tell you I am super excited. Finally, barring any issues, I will be recording the end of this week with Dr. Neely North, who is our holistic vet that we refer to. Uh, she is a local vet here um, who does holistic vet care, acupuncture, Chinese medicine. Um, and I am so excited to finally have her on here. We've been trying for, um, I know, at least probably a year to get this done. So I'm excited about that. And that will be out next week. We will put that out next week as our podcast episode. And then from there, um, I don't know what we're going to be discussing. I don't know. If you guys have um, some ideas, throw them at me. I love it, right? If you can throw me some ideas, I want to talk about what you guys want to talk about. And I think that's why I really like the listener questions because it allows me to just open up and just talk as if you were a client sitting in front of me in your living room. Um, so I love that. So please send in your listener questions. Go sign up to be a Dog Speak, uh, Dog Speak Geek member. You can be a Dog Speak Geek without being a member. But we want you to be a member so we can give you all these amazing uh, resources um, above and beyond what we're going to give you as a non-member. So, uh, and we'd love to see you guys. If you're local, we'd love to see you at the Dog Communication Seminar, February the 24th, 6.30 to 9.30 at the farm at Natchez Trace. It is BYOB, only $45 per person. Um, I think every human being needs this. And if you are not local and you want to go ahead and get it, you can get on the website and it's under our resources um, you can purchase it there, have three months access to it, um, and then hopefully we'll be adding in a new one. But uh, that's it. I hope you guys have an amazing day. Um, I hope that you treat yourself um, as the Valentine that you are and as the amazing human being that you are. And, uh, and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the day and a wonderful evening, wonderful rest of the week. And I can't wait to come back and talk to you guys um, next week with Brett. And, well, we'll record next week with Britt. Um, but I can't wait for you guys to hear the Dr. Neely North episode. I'm so excited to talk to her. I have so many questions. I'm so excited about that. I can't wait for that. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it. All right, that's it. I'm going to stop talking now. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Have an amazing week.